I'm Mishra Present, and this is an exclusive interview with one of our scene's leading producers, Break. Break first released Cocktail on Eastside Records in 2003, and he went on to set up his own label, Symmetry Recordings, in 2006 as an outlet for his own tracks. Since then, he's dropped three solo albums and a host of EPs. It's also common knowledge, however, that Break steers far away from any social media. No Twitter, no Instagram, no Facebook. But this has proved that you don't need it and that his music does all the talking loud and clear. It's now 2016. It's 10 years on from his label's initial start. So I catch up with him to talk about the new 10 Years of Symmetry compilation, the album, which has turned into a full LP of original material, featuring some of the biggest names in drum and bass, including Total Science, Spectrosol and DLR. To top that off, one of the tracks off the album, Who Got The Funk, is still at number one on the top ten of the beatboard charts. So, I'm really honoured for you doing this interview, thank you so much. But, let's ask, how did the symmetry night go? Oh, no worries. Congrats on the baby. Yeah, it was really good down there at Phonox. Uh, we were a little bit unsure before, because the event was on a Thursday night. Um, but it went really well in the end. The turnout was wicked, the crowd was sick. They really knew their stuff and uh, yeah, all the DJs and MCs were on point. It was great music all night, so I'm really chuffed how it went down. That's definitely what you want. So, what was in your bag and what did you draw for? I definitely played the new album for sure, The Ten Years of Symmetry. I got most of them in. Um, I played the Strictly Entertainment VIP, Coming On Players, and uh, my Dillinger Hard Noise remix went down really well. There's a few other little sneaky ones, but I've been sworn to secrecy on the track titles. But yeah, the set went down nice, really enjoyed it. So how has your summer been? Because I know you're really busy as I watch the work you do on music lectures and computer music. And what people don't realise is that producing good music sometimes takes a long time. So have you managed to enjoy any of our British summer this year and actually get in the garden? Or are you still perfecting a studio tan? Yeah, I've been trying my best to fight that studio tan. I've moved my studio back home so I can step out the back to the garden and try and soak up some rays. I'm sort of doing phone calls and stuff, but it still doesn't really do the job. There's always emails and studio work to do, so yeah, there's definitely more vitamin D to charge up on. I haven't really had a proper holiday in a few years, so I'm hoping 2017 it might happen. But yeah, it just never really comes together as always work. I definitely feel your pain there. I hate my email inbox. But anyway, let's go back to when you were growing up, how music came into your life and how that progressed into drum and bass. Maybe you could talk about the brass instruments you play for the people that don't know. And yes, I'm a trained E-flat horn player too. Oh, that's cool. Brass is hard. I didn't even get to grade three on that. I did have a go over a few years. A um, bit of French horn, trumpet and trombone. Trombones are hard though. Yeah, I mainly played the piano from about eight years old and then the drums from about 12, 13. Um, you know, I messed around in a few bands and played some guitar and bass too. Okay. But yeah, basically once one of my mates showed me a sampler and he was chopping up the aim and break, seeing that was pretty much the beginning of the end. Um, we started making tracks and slowly sort of learned what was going on. But, you know, there was no internet or YouTube tutorials, so there was a lot of trial and error and um, it was a slow curve pretty much so following on from that do you think it helps 
producing music if you had some musical training yeah i do think it helps a lot i mean it's not essential um you can learn as you go but it, it depends what kind of music you want to make i think if you're going to work with singers and musicians then it definitely helps to know what you're on about if there's other professionals in the room um and for like song structure chords arrangement knowing the pianos really helped me out so i think that's a good one to learn if you're going to learn anything um but you know i never went to uni for music production or engineering so i've managed to get through you can you can teach yourself if you really want to do it so now how does it feel that people look up to you as a role model and how important is it to you that you portray a professional image with your music yeah it's definitely pretty cool i mean i'm glad the people i meet um they just sort of appreciate what i've done musically and and that's kind of what's got them into it so that's that is wicked um you know my general approach is just to try hard and do your best and that's i think that's the main part of being professional really yeah totally and alongside that you have created your own unique sound which is really subby clean drums excellent separation and with what a lot of tunes miss which is musicality with funk is there anyone who has and still does inspire you at the level that you're at i mean yeah definitely for sure there's you know a lot of really good produced and mixed music these days um and, you know the main leaders for me are still people like noisier calix and tb mefjus but a lot of them it's it's quite a loud hyper sort of neuro thing um so i guess a lot of my inspiration for the musical sort of funk vibe still comes from older stuff there's a lot more of that in the jungle era and um that's the kind of thing i try and bring into dnb tunes still today you know a lot of it for me really comes from other genres because you don't really hear that in dnb so much and talking about that sub driven music can you explain why getting the balance of the sub levels to the rest of the track is so important well yeah sub is a big thing i mean um you know the sub basically uses up a lot of your headroom for the track mm. but to your ears the mid range seems a lot louder so it's just trying to find the sweet spot where those two things sort of feel right together um and for me generally dnb should be leaning a bit more to the subby side of things you know that was always the appeal of it um you know and a lot of production these days has become pretty mid-range focused and that wasn't really ever the the style with jungle having a dip in the sort of middle frequencies makes the bass seem kind of exaggerated um which makes things sound more dubby and subby especially if they're loud in a club so yeah i'm not generally really fan of music that hurts your ears especially if it's loud Wicked. So you hail from Bristol and that has an amazing DMB community. Where's your favourite place to play? Well actually I, I am from London but I've been up here about 10 years now so I've kind of sunk into the woodwork. Ah, uh, okay. I mean I do a club night up here with Kyo, Total Science, DLR, Mako and Alex from Basic Agency called Collective. So I'm a little bit biased but the club we use is uh, called The Crofters Rights. Mm-hmm. It's kind of my favourite at the moment. It's a small kind of old venue with a, a lot of wood in the rooms so the system sounds great in there which isn't a euphemism a lot of girls do come to the night so it's got a nice vibe down there and it's just like a an old jungle kind of rave rather than a big stadium D&B extravaganza um you know and I know a lot of performers like intimate small venues so I think that's definitely true I mean I really like Thetler as well which is another one up here it's a boat they turned into a club and it's got a great sound system and uh, a pretty unique feel so that's always up there for me too and do you have a favorite place that you like to play worldwide 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick one country because it, it always varies. But um, just recently I played at Le Bikini again in um, Toulouse in France. And for me, that's got to be one of the best clubs in the world. It just sounds like a massive recording studio. The acoustics are amazing. And, um, you know, I went out on the dance floor and the crowd vibe's amazing. They, they sort of get down to any tune and no one's got to play cheesy bangers to get a reaction. So it's just ideal for a, a proper D&B night. I think some of my guilty pleasures are a few cheesy bangers, but I love your attitude towards how people make music, how they project it, and how you challenge the idea that some producers make music they think people want, rather than the music that they enjoy. So do you think there is pressure to make music sell by labels, or should individuals take more responsibility? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean... I'd say in d and I, I do get the feeling that at least sort of, I don't know, 70% of producers jump on the generic bandwagon and the scene's definitely quite sort of watered down these days, but I, I don't always think it's their fault. There's definitely some people that should know better, but for a lot of new young, you know, guys getting into it, they get their head filled with crap by the labels and they're just looking too much at other people on social media. So you can see... You know, when certain producers sign to certain labels, their sound definitely changes. And I know the labels play a big part in turning down material and steering the sound in a, in a certain direction they want, which is pretty sad. Um, you know, and you kind of see it at a lot of gigs. There's a, a simple formula. It's kind of like a cheat code. If you do a big build-up with loads of kick drums and risers and slam into a pitched-up sort of beat with an obnoxious bass sound, it's going to sort of smash it eight out of ten times so that's you know basically what everyone does and you know they've they've nailed it um but it kind of seems a bit of a hollow victory for me um you know and I kind of blame the crowds too I'd probably leave and go to room two or wouldn't have even paid for a ticket in the first place but I don't know it's um there's always good and bad ones and I think everyone who DJs kind of knows that you get a few bad gigs, but there's there's a load of good ones. So it's just kind of, it's just how it goes. A bit of rough with the smooth, I guess. It's a certainly an interesting topic. I think I could talk forever about it. But Symmetry, your label has gone from a small underground independent label to a rather successful underground label. You must be pleased. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's really cool. The label's made a, a small but kind of successful impact. I never really wanted to be a, like a label guy, but... I'm pleased we can add to the scene and cover a sound that's still kind of relatively underground. I mean, the main challenges are kind of similar to what I was saying before. It's There's that commercial side we're up against who've got the money and the office staff, you know, to push their product. Um, so it does make it even more pleasing when some Symmetry stuff makes it through with a kind of tenth of the investment and promotion. And, you know, people appreciate the music for what it is. So that's that's why I keep the label going. That's that's what it's all about. Yeah, well, certainly. Please don't stop. I'm going to play track two on the EP now, which is Beads Max with Total Science. How did you organise the workflow with Total Science on this track? I mean, do you all get in the studio together or were you bouncing ideas and stems over the internet? No, yeah, we all, we all worked in the studio together on that one. I mean, they're, they're really funny guys. So the sessions were definitely, you know, a total laugh. Uh, kind of more than total science but they're they're a big inspiration for me Um, you know I grew up listening to their tunes and you know we all like the same kind of music and have got a similar kind of production workflow so you know we all just get a load of sounds and samples together and just just roll out the vibes Um, it's a really good sort of balance of fun and 
technical missions and uh, in the end the, you know, the tunes kind of write themselves. So do you agree with the rule that you shouldn't master your own tunes? Yeah, I, I do pretty much agree with that. I mean, um, I always get Bo at 1087 mastering to, to do my masters and you know, you can, you can get really attached to your own tracks and you, you can't really hear the little problems that someone else will spot in five seconds. So it, it does really help. I mean, um, you know, I do often do masters of my stuff, you know, and I, I do mastering for other people, which uh, is, is a lot easier. But for your own tracks, I think definitely getting someone else on it is, is definitely, you know, saves you pulling your hair out, basically. Then when you're coming for the future, scene, yeah, man. really full of energy and that vocal is really awesome can you tell us how you start your tracks is it with drums intros or a hook yeah it does actually vary each time i mean with this tune i actually started by making the bass sounds which i don't usually do but i, I wanted to get some new basses to start a tune from and then i work back to the intro once i got the vocal and pads in and um, i do generally find it easier to get a good drop when you've got the context of an intro um, and that tune probably took the longest on the album. It's, it was a lot of work to get all the elements working together. And, um, you know, with a lot of my tracks, the intro with the music is the bit I enjoy the most. And the, the drum and bass part is, is the real ball ache. It's just a lot more tweaking and engineering than, than sort of music making. Uh, so that one, yeah, was a, was a lot of effort. Now, it's nice that some people are actually taking some time to do good intros and put the musicality in there. So talking about musicality, I'm going to play a track off the LP now called Not Forgotten. And this one's beautiful, really enjoy this. important is jungle to you to be kept alive yeah i'm definitely all about keeping jungle alive i mean it's, it's really important for me I, I made that one after listening to a load of jungle again you know one day and it was the same thing with late exclusive on my last album um just got back in the vibe and you know you kind of remember what you got into it for and uh yeah with not forgotten i, I tried to sort of recreate this similar kind of electric piano riff from this night writers track like a 92 hardcore tune which Bad Company sampled with Trace on uh, Flashback 
but you know you'd never really make a tune like that if you just listened to D&B today so you know if I had to pick D&B or Jungle I'd definitely go with Jungle any day yeah I think quite a few of us can totally relate to that and I think it's quite good as well that there's people like yourself keeping the Jungle vibes alive but on another note can you tell us what your current studio setup is well there's quite a lot of stuff to mention I mean it's, it's basically a Mac Pro with Logic 9 um, I've got quite a bit of outboard hardware gear a lot of it's for the mic chain when you're recording vocals but I love tape echo so I've got a couple of original 70s units which I've used on the recent 10 years of Symmetry album and um, I've got several warm audio and uh, Alicia units for compression EQ they're amazing and what are your favourite synths? yeah I'm, I'm less big into synths I've, I've got a Virus C which, which I really like but I don't, I don't use it often you know, as I should I generally prefer getting bass sounds into a sampler and then using effects and filters, you know, to make most of the sick basses. Um, in the computer, I, I do really like Trillion and Omnisphere, and I've been using Serum and June a bit too. That's interesting. So, if I gave you ten grand to spend on studio equipment, what would you buy and why? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Um, yeah, it's a pretty tough call. I mean, maybe I'd just pay my rent for a year so I didn't have to do any gigs and uh, could just just make tunes but you know time is probably the best bit of equipment these days I mean if not probably uh, a nice little 12 track Neve mix and console would be would be pretty sick oh okay so I always ask this question because I have images of some producers sitting in slippers drinking tea but do you drink tea or coffee in the studio yeah there, there was a lot of tea sort of back in my stoner years it was definitely kind of um 10 or 15 cups at Yorkshire a day but pretty much now a, a nice coffee in the morning when I get up does the job and uh, yeah you know r- rolling out in tracksuits and slippers is definitely one of the perks of the job <laughs> that's awesome so let's go back to the LP and how long did it take to write when did you start it when was it finally finished did you contemplate more tunes or sit there and think right okay it's done now yeah, this one was actually the. It was pretty much the quickest album I've done because I, I didn't really set out for it to be an artist album. I was just going to release sort of several unreleased tunes and kind of put together a, you know, kind of best of unreleased kind of thing. But um, after a bit, I just realised if I updated some of them, I'd be sort of halfway through an album, and then four of the old tunes I think were were old ones that I dug out. And then once you got a few collabs in, that, that sort of took the pressure off. And it was, yeah, pretty painless, actually. I mean, most of the um, hard work probably took about six months and uh, some of it had been done before. So it, it was probably about six months. That's pretty quick. So when it was finished, how did you go about your mix downs to get them all as loud as possible? And what tips can you give the listeners about achieving a loud mix down? And then the key things which are ready for a master? Yeah, it's probably trickiest with an album and that was still one of the big problems with this one because there's, you know, older style tunes with more crusty, jungly production and then, you know, there's like a chilled one with Kyo and Boston and they'll just never compete with the super loud sort of modern neuro stuff. So in the end, you've either got to ruin the quiet ones to get them as loud as the modern stuff or turn the loud ones down, which you've spent ages getting really loud. So it can be a bit of a compromise you know, it would be easier if your album all sounds the same, but no one really wants to hear an album like that. So I think, you know, in hindsight, getting a good average level you've got, so you've got a bit of room to go louder or quieter at mastering is, is probably the best way to go. 
I guess the best tip for people, you know, to, to get a good fat master is, you know, it's balance between things. If, if you've got, you know, a dull snare and then super bright hi-hats, you'll never be able to get a good top end across your whole track and sort of the same with the bass. So it's, it's just trying to get things even and then when it gets to mastering, you know, there's there's room and, and scope to bring up the top end if you want and it all come up together and not just one really bright hi-hat or cymbal that pokes out. So yeah, that's that's the best, you know, technique. Just try and get everything even. That's absolutely wicked advice, thank you. So I noticed all the tracks came back from 1087 Mastering. So first off, thanks for sending me the whole LP. It's awesome. And also you mentioned 1087 Mastering earlier, so a huge shout out to Bo and Rob there. Those guys have been friends of mine for quite a while and they're really awesome, huh? Yeah, those guys are great. I mean, I've mastered all my stuff with them for over 10 years because, you know, they've always given me a lot of time and I always get the best sounding results. And I've learned a lot from Bo um, and I've sat in on loads of sessions with him and you know he's helped me understand the vinyl process and you know that's really helped my production because it's kind of what I was saying before you you've got to have things really kind of nicely even and, and balanced for vinyl because it, it, it can't handle sort of irregular things happening so that that's actually helped me with digital you know mixes to get a kind of a vinyl vibe across your mixes and um, you know we've been friends a long time so just having a good relationship with the people you work with is really important for me and I think ends up you know making the music better yeah totally and obviously working with people and being grateful about the help and support and advice that you get is important as well so talking about people and relationships I've got a lot of people that support me on my Facebook I've put out that I was interviewing you and you had whole heaps of people come back and there's a lot of people who can't wait to pick your brains a little so a few questions from the listeners here first off Dan Wright he wants to know were you nervous for the first set that you played out and how did you get over the nerves Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, especially because it was vinyl back then, so you actually had to be able to mix. Um, but you know, it does get easy with practice. And um, you know, the thing is, it was always—it's always different from DJing at home. You kind of got to learn all over again. Um, but I guess you just go in there and hope for the best and, and try and not clang it. And DJ Conspiracy asks if you could remix any classic DB or jungle track, what would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean. Sadly, a lot of them have been done already, like Babylon or Sound Control or, or Lighter, some of my favourites. But I've been working on this Hard Noise remix for Dillinger, which is one of my favourite tracks of his. So that's been really cool and, and pretty challenging. And Mandy Kay asks, which producers are you digging at the moment? Well, you know, I'm a big fan of Boston. That's why I've, I've you know, been signing some of his tracks. I'm really feeling these archetype guys too. They're... Their stuff's really quality, you know, music, which is is quite few and far between. And you know, uh, you know, I was rate DLR, Total Science, Mako up here in Bristol, um, and Dead Man's Chest as well. So that there's a lot of good stuff close by, which is pretty handy. Definitely awesome artists, sir. And Harry Saunders asks, what is your favourite pizza topping? Uh, pepperoni mushroom standard. Yeah, definitely can't be doing any hot fruit or anything like that. Everyone loves pizza. Mushrooms are good. So Lee Beckford asks, what is the best piece of advice you could give to anyone thinking of taking up production? I guess really, you know, just make the kind of music you'd like to hear um, and expect to make about 100 tunes before they really start sounding good. 
you just got to stick at it and it, it does take a while but it does get better each time so you know persevere and my friend Vinnie J Smith he asks is that James Brown in flux it's not actually yeah a lot of people ask me that but it's um it's actually Wilson Pickett that the errs uh, are from a breakbeat I used from his track uh, Land of the Thousand Dances and with a, a bit of cleaning up it's it's a wicked breakbeat in there Oh, that's interesting. Wicked. So, anyway, Rachel Harris, she goes on to ask, who most inspired you musically? I mean, loads of people, obviously. I mean, DJ Shadow was one of the first people that really made me want to get into making music, that introducing album in, I think it was 95. You know, that's when I was just starting getting into samplers and that, and that kind of stuff. And, yeah, that kind of really opened, you know, my eyes, what you could do. And, uh that's definitely a big part of getting into it and joe murphy asks how much time do you spend making a track and how much of that time is spent on creative aspects versus mix downs and to tie in with that what are your thoughts on artists that stick to one refined sound like yourself versus artists who change their style over time it's usually about uh, about a day to make the main tune and then a couple of days tweaking the mix sometimes you know a week or two if it's a really tricky one and you kind of work another stuff and come back to it or you just you know get fed up I guess I, I sort of changed my sound a lot from tune to tune and the productions you know improved and refined over the years but the general taste is is quite consistent you know I think you've got to, you've got to move with the times for sure to you know to stay relevant and sound fresh but if you jump on every new trend or bandwagon then you know you, you wouldn't be original really yeah, I totally hear you about being current but not jumping on every single new trend. So finally, just to wrap this up, where can we catch you playing in the next couple of months? I'm doing a break live with Kyo and Mace at Thecla in Bristol on October the 21st. Uh, my other gigs sort of around then are in Turin and Malaga. So I'll, I'll probably, you know, we're trying to sort out another symmetry night in London. Um, and I know for sure I'm in, in London at Fire in December wicked we'll all certainly keep our eyes up for that so any other projects in the pipeline yeah i've, I've got another project um called degrees of freedom which i've been you know doing for quite a few years it's, it's myself and kyo in the band and um we're just you know working with some other musicians for the live shows mace who does our dmb guitar he, he's a great player he's who's in you know in all the shows and we're just meeting with a a bass player and a drummer this week you know to sort of step up the live performances and it's you know it's mainly dub house soul and um you know we always end on a, on a few dnb tunes for the dnb heads in the crowd so yeah hopefully there'll be you know more shows and festivals coming next year well i hope so and i'm sure a lot of our listeners will too so big up can i just ask if you have any shouts and thanks well, yeah, just, you know, big shout to yourself for having me on. It's, it's great to have a chat. And, um, you. you know, just shouts to all the, the, the fans who've supported the label and come to the shows and, um, you know, held it down for, for good DMB. Well, thank you. It's been a wicked interview. Really enjoyed everything you've had to say. You can keep up to date with Break on www.symmetryrecordings.co.uk. And Break, thank you so much for your time out. I know an awful lot of people who are going to be listening eagerly to this. And all respect due to you where it's due, because you really are a very gifted producer and an asset to our and scene. So thank you for all the wonderful music, and I hope to catch you again soon. Nice one. 
So I'm going to play out with this track by Break and it's called Left Behind. Thank you. 